So actually, we're going to talk about that today, things that stir the heart of God. I like things that stir the heart of God. When they stir the heart of God, it's a big deal. And it gets around to me too, huh? When God gets stirred, I get stirred because of the Holy Spirit on the inside of me. So really, another way to say this is we're going to talk about the things that God really likes. He likes a lot of stuff. These things I find in the Scripture are just so wonderful to review. They're so humble and at the same time profound, and they help us understand really how to get along with this God who loves us so much, who gave his son for us, who died for us, and resurrected from the dead. Well, what is this God like? And Jesus showed that over and over again in so many ways and so many different stories, and we see it all through the scriptures. And the scriptures are like a guide to understand this one who died for this, this one that loves us so incredibly much, right? What is he like? Who is he really? We have different opinions of that sometimes. If you don't know God very well, or haven't read the scriptures much, you don't really know. Sometimes we misinterpret the scriptures, we read th- certain things, and, and we don't understand really uh, the spirit of the thing, what God's really after. And so some of these stories hopefully will help you today. And I want to start with Acts chapter 10. Uh, this is uh, uh, verses 1 to 8. I want to just read these verses really quick. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. Now, as I read this story, this is before the church figured out that Gentiles could be in the church. And most of us here are Gentiles, so this is like where you entered (laughs) church history right here. Because before that, almost all God's dealings were with Jews, including when the time he was here was mostly to the Jewish nation. And then as the gospel began to explode, they got shocked. This story was the shocking, most shocking of all because they realized after what happens in this story that actually the gospel is for the Gentiles too. So what happens here and how it happens is highly significant and highly revelatory about Jesus, about God, about what he's like. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and his, all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. Now, and remember, he's, he's a Roman, right? One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. So this Gentile who just kind of knows about God, just trying to find out more about God, he's what we call a God-fearer. Somehow, by living near the Jews, he had gotten a, a kind of a sense of what God was about, that there's only one God. And this has actually happened all throughout the whole Roman Empire. If you wonder where the Gentiles came to the Lord, many of them came from synagogues. And so what happened is they would, wouldn't be allowed in the synagogues, but they'd hang around the edge of the synagogue. And then when Christianity came, they didn't have to be on the edge of the synagogue anymore. It was what they were looking for. They told them, hey, you can be included. You're not just, uh, you're in the house. You're, you're, a, you're a son or a daughter. You're along with the Jews. And that was the best news that they could have ever heard. It was an incredible thing. And so it started a, a wildfire. But even before that all happened, there's this guy, Cornelius, and he just likes God. And so... Here's what he's doing. He's praying and he's giving gifts to the poor. That's what he understood the worship of God was about. But when he did that, I love this, these words. It came up as a memorial before God. It's almost like it was perfume. It's God smelled it. It was as if God saw that. Maybe some angels were flying around. Hey, did you see that thing over there? That Something's going on over there. You know, that's God's stuff over there, you know. And God loves this sort of thing. So what happens is we see here the opening of the gospel the Gentile church. 
huge development. Jesus had showed us already, he was after them by just hanging out with the Samaritans the way he did. And also certain things that he did with the Gentiles during his ministry. He was revolutionary. Disciples were always uncomfortable with it. But God was after the whole world, turns out. But what got his attention? Somebody praying and somebody caring about the poor. This must be high, high up on God's agenda. A thing, things, that stir the heart of God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a a man named Simon who is called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner whose house is by the sea. And so many of you know this uh, story as it began to develop. Uh, The angel who spoke to him had gone. Cornelius called two of his shoulders and a devout, or two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So meanwhile, Peter's there hanging out and one day he has this visitation. And this visitation is just before <coughs> these guys arrive at his house. And he knows from the visitation, this vision that he had of not calling things unclean that had been formally considered unclean, he knows he's supposed to go with these guys. And when he goes with these guys, he goes back to their house, he preaches the gospel to them. I mean, he's not even supposed to walk in the door as a Jewish person to this Gentile house. But he, he had this vision, he realized uh, he, he needs to go in, so he starts preaching to them. But here, even though he's preaching to them, look what happens. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Now, these are the headwaters of the church. So in our church, we like to talk about the headwaters. Where did all this come from? Where, how did they do it in the beginning, right? And so this whole word, Holy Spirit, came on is a synonym for other words. Luke writes the same concept in six different expressions. One of those words is baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not baptized in water, but baptized with the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit comes on them. Holy Spirit fills them. That's another word. In Luke's writing of, in the book of Acts, it's all the same. So what's happening is the Spirit's coming on them just like he did at Pentecost. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For what? They heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. So, by the way, there's your verse. (laughs) From the very beginning, I don't know why God started the church with this tongue thing. Just know it's very useful to me, very helpful as part of my prayer life. But I don't know, maybe sometimes I think maybe he just wanted to mess with everybody up, up a little bit, you know. Jews are messed up. Everybody's messed up. What in the world? I'm hearing these tongues, and I know I'm hearing them in my own language. This must be something supernatural. Then Peter said, well, and here's the proof text. This is why these things, and we do talk about my life in the Spirit class all the time. That's why I have a life in the Spirit class. You see, the only way that they understood fully that the Gentiles belonged was this experience, this baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not a side issue. It's not a kind of issue. It's not for people who get especially excited and emotional. <laughs> It's not for weird people. This is the heart of why they even understood there was going to be a church to the Gentiles, not to mention what happened to them. So Peter says, well, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They received the baptism of the Spirit before they got baptized with water. They have received the Spirit just as we have, so we order that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. My, my. But the thing is, if we go back just a few steps, right, what started this whole thing? What started this angelic activity? Some guy praying and giving gifts to the poor. 
The revelation Cornelius had was multiplied by God, resulting in the salvation of his entire household. Isn't that amazing? His whole household. So let's look at Roman numeral 2. Next thing that stirs the heart of God. Acts of extravagant love and worship. So, again, disciples were dumbfounded, surprised more than once by the activity and emphasis of Jesus. If we look at Mark chapter 14, read these verses uh, 3 to 9. They're very helpful to understanding the heart of God. While he was in Bethany, reclined at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Now this, this is a lot of money that's being poured out on Jesus' head. It's very important to understand that uh, this sacrifice is going on. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you and you can help them anytime you want and you should. But you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, here's the key, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Wow. Extravagant love and worship. The amount of money she poured on Jesus' feet has been estimated by various people, but it could have been a year's salary. It could have been worth more than that. It was just remarkable sacrifice, but Jesus didn't see it as wasted at all. But if you look at the next verse, Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus after this. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. But if you look at another account of the same story, Judas is the one that's saying, why was this money wasted? Why was this wasted? It could have been used for the poor. Yet he wasn't concerned about the poor. He was busy pillaging the offering, which is a unique thing. Jesus led him pillage the offering in full knowledge and understanding. He wasn't shocked. He was letting him steal right under his nose. Jesus didn't say a thing about it because Jesus had a plan. That was the man that was going to betray him. And it was all in the plan of God that he would betray Jesus. Such love, such acceptance. Jesus gave him every chance to repent. Even the extravagant love of Jesus and worship is there. Uh, even for Judas, but Judas is the one that complained about it, but Jesus wasn't worried about it at all. So this extravagant worship we do and love, however it expresses itself, we just had some just now. And you'll see in our church, I just don't make any apologies for how long we worship, for how often we worship, how much we pray. This is all things that stir the heart of God. This is what makes the kingdom go around. And in these categories, just by the sheer lavishness of it, it seems the more that we see, the more uh, it is accepted in the kingdom, the more blessing, the more God likes it, right? So we look at another story here in Acts chapter 16. As we move down these little these steps here. So Acts chapter 16, verses 22 to 34 is one of my favorite passages in the Bible. It also reveals so much about God. So Paul and his friend Silas, they get arrested in the city of Philippi. 
They're stripped and beaten with rods. How many know that beaten with rods is not good? <laughs> Ooh. After they'd been severely flogged, meaning that you could actually almost die from this. This wasn't a little spanking. It was gashes in their body. They were thrown into prison, and the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. When he received these orders, he put them in the inner cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. So what was Paul and Silas's reaction to this? About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening to them. How many of you do that when you're in deep trouble or in suffering, physically, mentally, and emotionally? Oh, I think I'll sing to God. <laughs> Actually, that's a great thing to do. Something pulls on the heart of God when sacrificial worship is going up. Worship that's costly. Worship that maybe is offered even when we can't understand the circumstances. God loves this. It's a gift to Him. But you can never, never, never outgive God. I've told you many, many times about my, story, my friend, Sir Paul. This story literally happened with my friend in Cambodia at the bottom of a dungeon in Cambodia. He began to sing and worship, sitting in his own excrement for a week at a time, not being let out of jail, seeing the light of day. He began to worship one day as he was dying. As he began to worship, he began to sing this song, I got a river of life flowing out of me, makes the lame to walk and the blind to see. Opens prison doors, sets the captives free. I've got a river of life flowing out of me. He began to sing that, but he sang it in Khmer. He tells me it was actually written in Khmer. That's what he told me after. I said, why are you singing an English song? I said, I'll sing it. No, we wrote that song. A Cambodian song. So evidently it is, because as he sang the song, as he sang the song, the other prisoners, generals and all kinds of political captives and stuff in the same jail began to sing also. As they began to worship, every day the whole place was filled with worship. They sing the same song. And one day as he was singing that song, the most amazing thing happened. The, it's like the top of the jail cell came off. He could see angels all above him singing the same song. And then a voice came and gave him instructions about what his next step was. And the next step was to not eat anything. <laughs> he was already starving to death. Don't, don't eat anything. Well, they thought he was dying, so they took him out of the hospital. And then one thing led to another. And by God's amazing grace, through a Cambodian, I'm through actually a Cuban Christian doctor, and an amazing series of weather events, lightning hit the compound, and he was able to crawl out the back door. And then when he got to the edge of the fence, he got stuck in the fence and couldn't move. But somebody came along and picked him up out of the fence, got him into the car, and that's how he escaped the whole thing, right? So these guys are praying. Evidently, God likes praying and singing in jail. What's your jail? There's all kinds of jails here. There's addiction jails here. There's broken heart jails here. There's frustration jails here. There's financial jails. There's jails where we're worried about our kids, our children. There's depression jails. You can't shake for whatever reason. You can't seem to get past the depression. So these guys are in big trouble. They're in jail. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once all of the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up and when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul shouted, don't harm yourself, we're all here. 
The jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and asked, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I obviously am missing something. (laughs) They replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you'll be saved, you and your whole household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all the others in his house. At that hour of the night, the jailer took him and washed their wounds. Then immediately he and all his his household were baptized. They didn't wait around, did they? The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his household, whole household. And then he gets brought before the magistrates. They end up begging him to leave, begging him to leave the town. And, uh, and eventually he did on his own terms. And uh, what an amazing thing. They beat him and they were a little worried because they found out later he was a Roman citizen. They weren't supposed to do that. But the whole table was turned. So... God likes these acts of extravagant love and worship. And I felt many, many times in my life when I've given that kind of worship to the Lord, it changed the circumstance. It literally caused an earthquake. It literally changed my life. Because I'm inserting to the atmosphere, because sometimes in the atmosphere, it's very demonic. Things are, that are attacking us are not only human. They're demonic. And they get dismantled by this worship, this sacrificial praise, because it stirs the heart of God. God likes it. And we see this all through the scriptures, these acts of extravagant love. Jesus pays a special attention to it. So I figure if he's paying a special attention to it and, and the Spirit's paying special attention to it, then maybe we need to pay special attention in our life. If you look at Mark chapter 12, this offering that was given, a woman's secret offering, uh, Mark 12, verses 41 to 44. Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. That's interesting. (laughs) God's watching the offering. You thought he wasn't looking. (laughs) The Son of God sits right outside the offerings watching people putting their money in. Why is that? Because it's worship. It's costly. It's like the Pledge of Allegiance, you know? Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put two small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. And the Son of God was just waiting there. I don't even know if she even heard what he said. But he noticed her. He sat down because he was waiting to watch this act of worship. And it stirs the heart of God. I've learned through my life you can't outgive God. My guess is God took care of her quite well, thank you. But she didn't know that. And that was the thing. He's watching this and he's going, whoa, this is an amazing thing. This is why I came. I came to purchase people like this. They're my people. Right? And we see a similar story in the Old Testament, the widow of Zarephath, another one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It just to me, these stories, it's not only that they stir the heart of God, it, it, it reveals God to me. It helps me understand what God likes. I mean, if you're going to be married to someone, you might not, you know, probably need to know what they like, right? That's in the natural, but if you're going to be married to Jesus, and it's a lot tighter marriage than even marriage in the natural, you probably better know, need to know what pleases the one you're married to, right? We're the bride of Christ. He's the groom. We're connected to him in this very unique way, according to his own definition, not our definition, but that's the way he sees it. 1 Kings chapter 17, 7 to 24. 
Sometime later, the brook dried up because there had been no rain in the land. This is Elijah now. And he had been hanging out with the stream and the brook that he was drinking from. They're all looking for him all over town because he says, it's not going to rain till I say so. So they're all trying to find him. And he's hanging out in this, near this brook in the middle of nowhere. The word of the Lord came to him, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Mm. I just want you to think about that for a moment. First of all, as you read the scripture, you find out you can never outgive God, even if it costs you so much. God always brings back good measure, pressed down and shaken together. And it isn't amazing how he supplies our needs. So he directs this person over there. He calls that person over there. He makes this person buy your product all of a sudden. <laughs> he gives directions. Even when the person knows, doesn't even know they're getting, getting directions. That's why generosity is so powerful. You're working with the currency of heaven, not just natural currency here. But listen to this. This is the thing that kind of takes your breath away. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Only problem is, as you look at the widow, she didn't got any money either. Matter of fact, the way he directs her is just almost abusive. Wow. We can read it in the sanctified living room here of God, knowing more from the scripture than who God is and know that God himself was about to give the most costly gift of all, his son. So we understand that God's a giver, but this woman doesn't understand it. In the circumstances, so he went to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get, he called, and, and bring me, please, a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, She's evidently a godly person. She knows God. I don't have any bread, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And at that point I would say, it's okay, it's okay. I'm sorry, I just a little, no, I'm, I'm really sorry I even asked. Sorry, you know, uh, man, maybe I could help you. I mean, <laughs> no. See, you can't out God. God knew what was going to happen. As soon as she gave that thing, not only was going to supply the need of his prophet, but God was going to take care of her. Her giving was God's form of provision. It was an extravagant act of love and compassion to another human being, yes, but it was also the ticket for her own provision. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. I mean, he doesn't even let her in on the secret. doesn't say a thing. Just don't be afraid. Go ahead. <laughs> wow. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Like he didn't hear a thing. And then he didn't say what's going to happen afterward. Either. And then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. So she went away and did as Elijah told her. And so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. That's why, church, we are recession and depression proof. And there's no, like, convenient time to be a giver. <laughs> it's always inconvenient, near as I can tell. You always find a way to feel like, oh, that hurts. Oh, ah. But, oh, it's not about even what it's about. It's about worshiping God. 
And it's about then God turning around and blessing you. When he says you are his kid, he means it. He isn't wink, winking. He's not, you know, you're my kid, you and me. No, he means it. And so you would take care of your kids. He'd take care of you. But there's this little thing called faith that's in the middle there. So what that woman had to do, she had to do it in faith. And faith is like, whew, scary. How she's given everything? She's given it all away. Ah, but God loves faith. Without faith, the Bible says, it's impossible to please God. So why do we get putting these circumstances that requires us to believe? Well, God orchestrated this circumstance, and it could be he's orchestrating your own life. This is the way of the kingdom. Sign up for Jesus, and this is the stuff you get. <laughs> but always behind it is love. With God, there's love, provision. He doesn't want you to go without. I came that they might have life abundantly and abundantly. But we get so narrow. Oh, oh yeah, that's just probably, you know, like, I'm going to be happy a lot, or maybe. I don't know. Well, it does mean that, but it also means your pocketbook and everything else. And in the right proportions, according to your gifting, according to what he's doing with you, right? Extravagant love and worship. Wow. So I want to read from Matthew chapter 6. I call this getting attention of the one who sees and rewards in secret. So this is worth reading too. These wonderful passages. I love these passages so much because they reveal the heart of Jesus. This one that I'm connected to. What he's about. What he likes. What he doesn't like. Right? If you're going to be connected to the king of the universe, it's kind of nice to know what he likes and doesn't like, right? The one that can do that right there, or that right there, cause that to happen in a moment's time, walk out the door and change your whole life in a minute. That one. So here's what he likes, some of the stuff. I've been talking about it already, but let's read these verses. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. If you do, you'll have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they receive their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. There it is again. Verses 16 to 18. When you fast... Do not look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they have re received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head, wash your face, so it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. So these acts of extravagant love and worship, this is another form of worship, is fasting, going without food, usually paired with prayer, to actually ask God for things or to ask God for others or how about our nation I think our nation could use some fasting and prayer about now that's where we manipulate the unseen world through the power of the Holy Spirit by praying in a heightened form but he says once you do that don't wear it like a religious thing don't wear the medal just do it in secret and by Father and then he says it again what, who sees what is done in secret will reward you what a deal Things that stir the heart of God. Here's another one, Luke chapter 17. Returning to say thank you. It turns out 
that God likes Thanksgiving a lot. You'll see this refrain over and over again because Thanksgiving is a relational thing. You know, when you say thank you to a person, even in a restaurant or somewhere, it's a relational thing. It makes things go easier, isn't it? Thank you very much for helping me. Thank you for serving me. Thank you. And that person can't help but go, wow, thank you. You're, you're welcome. You know, a little smile. Thanksgiving goes, there's grace that's released. So this is like seasoning your relationship with God, Thanksgiving. You know what? There's whole seasons that I've been in where I've just murmured for like days and months on end, you know. <laughs> and I know better, but I slide into that place. But it's so unrelational. It's basically saying to God, well, you know what? I don't like the program here. I don't think you care a thing about me. And I don't know, but I'm kind of unplugging here. <laughs> or shape up, please. And then maybe I might love you a couple of times. You know, Maybe I'll give an offering here or there, whatever. you know. But this thing of thank you is really, really, really powerful. So we read in Luke chapter 17, 11 to 19. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was... Going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. So most of us here in the room are a little bit aware of this relationship between Samaritans and Jews. It has a long history. They hated each other. They absolutely hated each other. But the guy that comes back is a Samaritan. He's the one that shouldn't have liked, but he comes back and says thanks, and the other Jewish people did not. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Jesus likes Thanksgiving. We see it all through the scriptures. Inner skates with praise, his courts with Thanksgiving, or is it the other way around? But courts Praise, enter gates, thanksgiving, worship. It's all the same thing, isn't it? It's the sense of relational connection with God. It's like our own children. One of the first things we teach them. You ever notice that? When you're teaching your kids to be good kids, and you give them a present or something, now say, thank you. Isn't that the first thing? Because we want them to be relational, polite people. Right? It's okay, I just got a word from our sponsor, so that's a nice little uh, jingle before I give it. Um, I felt, as I said that, there's someone in this room, maybe three or four of you, that, that want to be uh, pregnant. You want to have a baby. So I'm not going to make you show your hand or anything. I'm just going to pray for you right now. So Lord, I just pray, whoever wants to be pregnant, whoever wants to have a child, I pray you would set it up, Lord. If they're not married yet, I pray you get them married. And if they're married, but they're having difficulty in some way or another, if you're watching on the live stream here or here, I just pray you would do it, Lord. I pray that the pregnancy would happen and the new baby would be on the way. In Jesus' name. All right. Word from our sponsor. Moving on. The cry for mercy. Turns out that God likes cries for mercy. And um, because that's usually the place when we're in, where we're in a really difficult, difficult place. And... Um, and we just think maybe uh, and from the place that we're in that actually nobody's looking, nobody cares, you know. And uh, 
But it turns out that God cares. God knows. And one of our deepest prayers is when we're crying out, we run to the end of ourselves, and the best we can mutter is, have mercy on us. Look at verse 16 of Hebrews 4. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I like that a lot. So even when you're crying out for mercy, you don't have to do it in this desperate sort of way. Although people did. We see this actually in the stories. But this basic approach to the throne of God with confidence to receive mercy is really at the heart of prayer. It's at the heart of our relationship with the Lord. Even if we have enough of earthly stuff, we need heavenly stuff because we have to do something about what happens when you die. What happens when you die? What happens then? Well, we know because of the mercy of God, we just keep on going. We even get a new body, new and improved version, evidently. <laughs> Amazing, isn't it? God is all about mercy. And the amazing thing is, you don't deserve it. Even one sin, one thing you've done wrong, said wrong, is not, not, you're not able to be compatible with the pure Son of God. So God sent Jesus, shed blood for you, was the ultimate sacrifice. And you can always call out in mercy to Him, no matter what. Son of God, have mercy on me. Blind Bartimaeus. I want to read Mark chapter 10. It's one of my favorite passages in the Scripture. I think this is the very first sermon I preached. It got me so much. I, if I remember, it's one of the very first. It was one of the top three or four that I... I can't remember which one, which one it was, but this was one of the first ones I ever preached. Because it struck me how Jesus was in the story. Then they came to Jericho to, as Jesus and his disciples and his disciples together with a large crowd were leaving the city. A blind, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout... Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. This is the teacher. This is the man of God. This is someone special. And in their culture, someone that had blindness or whatever was deserved it, that actually they were under some curse from God, and that's the reason why they were having what they had. Wow, tough crowd, huh? Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet. I mean, they're actually rebuking this guy for shouting out. You're messing up with the religious thing. We've got a service going on here. Nobody's screaming out now. And especially you, because you're cursed. You don't belong with us anyway. This is, this is, this is a, a righteous teacher. This is a man of God. Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. So when they told him to be quiet, verse 48, he shouts all the more. <laughs> He's screaming it out even higher, which is good for him, which is instructive for us. Sometimes God likes to hear us say that a couple of times. And if you're in enough pain, you don't have trouble saying it a couple of times. Jesus stopped and said, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. And then Jesus says this, what is this all about? Listen, I don't claim to understand everything about prayer. Sometimes it feels a little redundant to me. <laughs> I don't understand why he wants me to say it with my mouth. But it's in the thing. This is the way God is. He wants you to say it with his mouth. It has, has something to do with being a son or a daughter. I'm not sure. He just, obviously he knows what's going on. Uh, he stops. Everybody knows what's going on. And everybody's trying to keep this guy from Jesus because he's dirty and cursed. Jesus stops. This scream for help stops Jesus. He's on his way to important business. He's got important things to do. There's Messiah business to do. 
He's the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and everybody's hanging around him, right? What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, and he knows. what he's, he's a blind guy standing right there, right? He didn't just walk up without some help. You know, we've got to figure out for, where is Jesus, right? He knows he's blind. Still, he asked him, why would Jesus do that? Because he likes to hear you ask. He likes to hear you say it. Make it clear. Because <laughs> then when the answer comes, everything's clear. I asked Jesus, and he did it. And now you can trust me to save the rest of your life. What do you want me to do for you? How few people understand this very simple thing. Some of you go days, weeks, without ever asking God. Simple requests in any kind of faith. This guy's screaming out because he knows something supernatural is going by. He knows something's going on here. By the very act that he's screaming out all the more when they tell him to shut up, that tells you a lot about him. And you think, well, that, that seems illegal. seems perfectly logical. We were there and that day have been perfectly logical. Let's don't destroy, just, you know, this guy's got a lot to do here and you're going to pretty much stay blind the rest of your life and you probably deserve why you're blind. Don't laugh. We're just like that. We just are a little too cool to say it exactly like that. But what do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, which could have been incredibly offensive. I mean, part of the blind guy, forget it. Sorry to trouble you. I'm out of here. He's just drawing him out into a miracle. Could God draw you into a miracle like that? What do you want me to do for you? Tell me again. What is it you want? Come on, tell me. You know, because if you learn to ask me for what you need, you just might get in the habit of asking me for what other people need. And I might just listen to that prayer too. And you might just do a lot of good if you learn this little principle here. Right? So he likes to hear you say it. Then you get it. Then you go, hmm, I could probably do that for my friend, my neighbor. I could do it for my cousin. I, hmm. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him. Sometimes if you get a situation long enough, you just stop asking. Just get worn out. Ah, don't get worn out. These guys told him to shut up, and he would not shut up. Do not shut up about your problems. The blind man said, Rabbi, I, I, I want to see. <laughs> As everybody in the whole world knew, and he knew that everybody knew, including the Messiah. He was probably thinking, why am I saying this? But Go, said Jesus, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. Who, whose faith healed him? The man's faith. And all he did was scream, have mercy. Wow. Evidently the cry for mercy is a big deal. Mark chapter 5, a few chapters earlier, we see a phenomenal situation because here there's no screaming or yelling. An unworthy woman just touches his garments. A large crowd followed and pressed around him, verse 25, and a woman who was there had been bleeding, had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. She had suffered a great deal under the care of many doctors and had spent all she had, yet instead of getting better, she grew worse. When she heard about Jesus, she came up behind him in the crowd and touched his cloak because she thought, if I just touch his clothes, I will be healed. Immediately her bleeding stopped and she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. At once she just realized that power had gone out from him. I love this story so much. This woman touches him in faith. He, she doesn't even ask. But she touches him and God automatically responds to faith. It's like a law. 
It just came out of him. Provision just came out of him. Somebody touched God in faith, and all of a sudden, boom! Wow. That's unusual. That's amazing. This mercy thing, this crying out, stirs the heart of God. It, it always stirs the heart of God. You say, oh, poor baby. It stirs the heart of God to do something about it. The previous story says do it more than once. <laughs> this story, she did it in secret. And Jesus knew power had gone out from me. He says, who touched my clothes? Do you see the people crowding against, against you? As I was answering, and yet you ask, who touched me? But Jesus kept looking around to see who had done it. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came and fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. He said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. She did not climb a tall mountain. She did not fast for three weeks. She just screamed out help and touched Jesus and power came out. That tells you something about the very nature and disposition of God and it's so beautiful. And then we come to this amazing story. I don't know that anybody cried a louder cry for mercy than this guy Jonah at the bottom of a whale. You know what I saw in the news the other day? Someone actually got swallowed by a whale. Did you see that in the news? <laughs> That's amazing. It happened. Did you see? How many saw that story? The guy gets swallowed by... <laughs> so, you see, he got burped up. Dude. But uh, I got a feeling this whale is a little bit bigger than the one that he got swallowed by. But anyway, he did. He's a surfer. No, was he a surfer? Or a sc- I think he was a surfer. No, he was a skin. No, he was scuba diving. <laughs> Black seal. You know. Anyway, so he's in this fish. In my distress, I called the Lord, and He answered me. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help, and you listened to my cry. You hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the current swirled around me, and all your waves and breakers swept over me. I said, I've been banished from your sight, yet I will look toward your holy temple. He's in the bottom of fish, and he's still looking toward the holy temple. The engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head. Can you imagine? This is all because he didn't want to warn a bunch of people. He didn't want any mercy to fall on the Ninevites. So he's going the opposite direction. I mean, he's the most unmerciful person. He's going the wrong way. God gives him his sign and says, No, I hate those people. I'm going the other way. Then he gets swallowed. To the roots of the mountains I sank down. The earth beneath barred me in forever. But you, Lord my God, brought my life up from the pit. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord. I'll bet you there's some people in here that have had that happen. Your life was ebbing away and you remembered the Lord. And my prayer rose to you to your holy temple. Those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, will sacrifice to you. What I vowed I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord. And the Lord commanded the fish and it vomited. I wonder if it was a projectile vomit. I've always wondered that. Did he just sort of slither out or was like... I think it was more like pew, and it vomited. I think we're actually going to get reruns of all this when we get to heaven of what happened, you know. And it vomited Jonah onto dry land. What an amazing thing. What was between him and absolute disaster? Any righteousness? No, he'd been on the wrong side. He'd been doing the exact opposite of what God wanted. What, what, was on, what did he have going for him? One scream, one cry for help to a merciful God. Remember that no matter where you are, how far you've sunk, or how bad you've been, or how far away you've been. 
Cry for mercy works every time if you mean it. And you can do it more than once. Believe me, I've done it. And the last thing, Luke 11, 5 to 10. Shameless, audacious faith. And uh, you'll see how it's expressed in this particular story. And I like it so much, these kind of stories, just like the other ones. So he talks about prayer, and he teaches them this official way to prayer, which everybody loved that one. Okay, so how do you do it with your disciples? So he's going through it like, Father, hallowed be your name. They want the little formula, right? But Jesus wasn't really looking for a formula. He was telling them some dimensions, some things you probably should consider when you pray. Then he goes, suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. So what he's doing now is he's going to the relational part of this. Prayer is relational. It's not like a chant. Or a formula. When I go to Asia, it's amazing how these people chant and do these things forever and ever, thinking they're going to get a hold of God or something supernatural. It's not the thing. It's not the way you do it. It's not the way you hold your mouth. It's heart to heart. Hey, I need something. And then we're going to find out, not only do you need something, but then how you present it. Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside says, nah, don't bother me. Door is already locked. I can't get up. My children are in bed. I can't give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. You mean shameless audacity stirs the heart of God? I mean, to me it seems kind of like a bad thing. It's not even polite. But with God, you can be shamelessly audacious. You can do it. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And all the Greek behind those suggests that the word will be translated better. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking you'll find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened. Like that guy's knocking. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which if you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake. Instead of if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. If you, then though you are evil, Lord, how give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Asking with this shameless audacity. Shameless audacity is faith. Asking God for what you need. Right? Amazing. And so we see these other stories. He doesn't just say it once. He says it again. He's trying to make a point, evidently. Mark chapter 7, we see something very similar. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it yet. He could not keep his presence secret. This one's amazing. In fact, is he, now this is a Gentile woman. Okay, now we don't get that whole thing, but between the Gentiles and the Jews, it's bad news. They don't really care about the Gentiles. They think they're dirty dogs. They don't like them. There's this huge separation. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. She was, this is the key part of the story, the woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. Now Jesus says the most astounding thing. He says, well, you know, please first let the children, mean Jews, eat all they want, for it's not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. That's the way the Jews felt about the Gentiles. Now, if I were that woman, I'd have been totally offended and walked away. Okay, here's the thing. Does God call us dogs? Now, here's the thing. I don't understand why this is, but sometimes God plays hard to get. He's drawing your faith out. Evidently, the golden things in the kingdom, some of the most golden things, are this thing called faith. Evidently, God loves faith. He loves your pursuit of Him. 
the shameless audacity. He likes the whole thing. You would think that he wouldn't say, just say, uh, oh, I can't do it right now, or no, I, I, I'm, I can't take the, you know, as you well know, there's this divide between us, you know, I'm Jewish and you're Gentile, and we just can't take, right now, my time, my time I'm supposed to be about right now is giving the food to the, 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 the Israelites, to the Jews, and later on you guys will have yours, but I, you know, it's, it's, I can't do that right now. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumb. This so defines shameless audacity. Sometimes I think God draws us into this place to see how fierce, how much, how much we're going to ask. What, what are we going to go? What are we going to do? You know, some of you would ask for things in the natural, and you would never give up till you get your way. Some of you are like that. You know, and you know the power of that. You know you can get away with. Unfortunately, for the rest of us, <laughs> aren't quite so audacious. They told her for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. Shamelessly audacious faith. She went home and found her child lying in the bed and the demon gone. This is serious business. We're not playing around. This, one, this kid has a demon, right? Man. And then we see this Matthew 8. We're almost done. Another same thing, same idea, but beautiful and such I hope you guys have seen this this is not just stories from this is about you and me this is about us this is about where we are this is about our life our kids our families when Jesus said in a Capernaum a centurion came to him asking for help Lord he said my servant lies at home paralyzed suffering terribly Jesus said to him shall I come and heal him now going to a centurion's house going to Roman's house it was like way out of bounds anyway. So God, Jesus is offering now, in this case, to go. The centurion replied, Lord, I do not deserve to have you come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I tell this one go, and he goes, and that one come, and he comes. I say to this servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, Truly I tell you, I have not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. I, tell you, I say to you that many will come from the east and the west and will take their place at the feast with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. And that's us, right? So he's preparing the way for us, Gentiles. Again, most of us here in this room. Great faith. He just says, you know, I believe you do it. You just say the word it'll, and it'll be done. Jesus is amazed and Jesus liked it. He liked the whole thing. He likes it when we're like this. And so finally, one last story and we'll stop. I love these stories. I hope you'll study them on your own a little bit. I've studied many of these. Sometimes I just go over and over some of these stories because, like, this is the spout where the glory comes out. I want to know what makes God tick. I want to know what He likes. I want to know, especially when I need something, what it is that impresses Him. I, I want to know favor. I, I, I want to know God, and I also want to be like God. I want to be like Him, generous, and, and, and I want to function like Him. I, I, want to, I want to know about this whole thing because... Wow, this is like, this isn't a president of the United States, this isn't a senator, this is like the king of the universe, the one over all the nations. By the way, he's not wringing his hands over the nations. So could I just tell you to get that weary spirit off you and stop it? Just stop it. You stop worrying about this. I'm alarmed with the political situation as much as anyone, but I'm taking it to the king of kings, and I'm making sure that I don't 
wince one bit when I tell him what I need and what I want. And believe me, I am persistent. But make sure you go there before you go the other place. It'll cause a certain perspective to come so you start working with wisdom. Right? And start thinking and let God... You know, even with regard to all this, and this is a little message from our sponsor here. But all these questions about immunizations or not immunizations, whatever, look, here's a, here's a thought. Ask God what to do and then go do it. Immunize or no immunize? Just ask Him, what do I do? And He'll tell you. And then you go do it. Problem solved. Right? Then while you're at it, ask God to tell the government what to do. <laughs> Which I do a lot of. So I tell the government what to do all the time in my prayer life. Right after I watch Fox News for an hour. Plenty of prayer notes there. Just go and start praying, right? Interceding. So look at this, 2 Kings, a governmental thing. 2 Kings uh, <clears throat> chapter 20, verses 1 to 6. And I'll fi finish with this. In those days, Hezekiah became ill. Now this Hezekiah guy was a good king. Good king, bad king. <laughs> a lot of bad kings, some good kings. This guy's a good guy. This is the point of death. The prophet Isaiah, son of Amos, went to him and said, This is what the Lord says. Put your house in order because you're going to die. You'll not recover. <laughs> Well, that isn't very nice. <laughs> There'll be a day someday, maybe, where our prophetic utterance will be that accurate, you know, or whatever. I don't know, but this is a prophet with a capital I. He wrote a huge section of scripture forecasting what will be the end times and Jesus and everything, right? So this is this is like no little guy coming. So when he says you're going to die, you're going to die. Look what Hezekiah does, because he fully believes the word. He knows this guy's never wrong. So he's going to die, which is an amazing thing in itself, right? Hezekiah turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord, Remember, Lord, how I have walked before you faithfully with wholehearted devotion, have done what is good in your eyes. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. You think, oh, this is, you know, a done deal. But look what happens. Before Isaiah had left the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him. Go back and tell Hezekiah, the ruler of my people, this is what the Lord, the God of your father David says, I've heard your prayer and seen your tears. I will heal you. On the third day from now, you will go up to the temple of the Lord and I'll add 15 years to your life and I'll deliver you in this city, by the way, from the hand of the Syria that's attacking you. I'll defend this city for my sake, for the sake of my servant, David. <laughs> you would think, it's over. This guy's a scripture writer. He tells me I'm going to die, I'm going to die. But he won't take no for an answer. He says, God, this is not fair. Are you, well, are you able to pray those kind of prayers? Evidently you are. This is like a, it's not fair prayer. I like that kind of prayer. That's pretty cool. And he's weeping. He's saying, this is not right. You know, I've walked with you. This is not right. And he was testing. Sometimes I wonder in this whole thing, God's testing you. And it seems to be the main thing he's testing you about is, do you really believe who I am? And what do you believe? Do you trust me? Am I a good God or not? Do you have faith that I can change things, that I can do this? Will, will you have faith that you'll express that and, and, and just call me out on things and, and tell me who I really am and repeat it back to me? Because I want you to grow up. I want you to walk with me. I want you to have sameness audacity. There's a whole world out there that needs changing, including the governments of the world and the cultures of the world and the practices of the world. Right? 
Go back and tell Hezekiah, you know what? He can't even get out of the palace. <laughs> he says, you know, three days from now you're going to be okay. <laughs> we had 15 years of your life, and uh, put a little figs on it, it'll be all right. And then, uh, <laughs> and so then he says, well, are you sure? He says, well, what will be the sign the Lord will heal me? Can he give me a sign? He still doesn't believe. Because he's so afraid of what the guy said, he, he, he freaks him out. He says, that I'll go up to the temple of the Lord on the third day from now. Isaiah says, well, this is the Lord's sign to you, that the, that the Lord will do what he's promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps, or shall I go back ten steps? And a simple, it's a simple matter for the shadow to go forward ten steps, because that's the north of the, where the universe works, you know, and the sun is in a certain place. No, have it go back ten steps. And the prophet Isaiah called the Lord, and the Lord made the shadow go back the ten steps that had gone down on the stairway of Ahath. What? He changed the rules. The rules of the whole order, you know, I've, and we've actually heard of people trying to figure out in the timeline prophetically if how much time that took and how much it altered when everything happens. That ten, you know, obviously there's shadow going back, so it must have altered some hours off the timeline. So trying to get this precise day when Jesus comes back, and <laughs> which I think they missed the story. I think the, the, the intent of the story wasn't quite that, right? Let's all stand. All right. So I just gave you all these things that stir the heart of God. So we've already been stirring him, evidently. I know the prayers have been offered up already, and we've been giving worship and maybe money as well. And Maybe some of you said thank you. But I just think this would be a good time for the cry for mercy. Could it be on a day like this? It's not a special day. Just a day. But evidently, any day is good. I don't think it was a special day when that guy screams, have mercy on me, or the woman reaches out and touches the edge of his garment. It's not a healing conference. It's not a, like, it's just a day. But could it be that God stirred you today, and maybe you just have some faith brewing in you, and may be today you like to cry out for mercy over your situation. You could do it from your chair if you like. Sometimes I think it helps if you come forward. So I just encourage you to come forward. If you just want to cry out for mercy for something, God stirs your heart. I know we haven't done it in a long time, but you can come. It's okay. Come. Anybody like to do that? I got a feeling God's going to meet some of you here, right? At the altar. You can do it from your chair as well. It's no big deal. God can hear that cry anywhere, but... Sometimes that reinforces it for you just to take a few steps forward. Right? So it's up to you. You can do it from your aisle or wherever. You guys that come up the front, make room for the ones that are coming up in the back of you because we're just going to give a mercy cry. And I'd like the band to play a little bit, uh, worship. So what we're going to do is I'm going to pray over you and then we're going to dismiss. But we're going to keep the worship going. And I just encourage you, do some business with God. Some of you may do business with God even after the music stops, this is a house of prayer, so you're welcome. Stay as long as you want. Lord God, there are deep needs, concerns, worries, fears in this place. There are things that have been done that ought not have been done. There are changes that need to be done in our life, in our families. There are things in our households that are just not right. Our sons, our daughters, our grandchildren. 
There are things in our bodies that aren't right. There are things in our finances that are not right. And we know it. And we know you know it. And we know you heard everything we had to say already. But I just pray in this moment, as we've been talking about stirring up the heart of God, I just ask you as we stand here before you, you would hear every prayer that was uttered here in this place. I pray the result would be miracles. And I pray especially even as I'm praying that you put the tenacity in them to keep praying, not only here in this place, but keep praying night and day until they get the answer. Shamelessly, audaciously, boldly. We approach you boldly because it's not just any kind of throne. This is a throne of grace. And in this place, God's altering prophetic destinies, He's altering your children. He's altering your finances. He's altering your body where you need healing. He's altering marriages, households. He's renewing promises. He's even speaking. And he will speak. I release the healing anointing of Jesus. You grab his garment. Be healed and get well. Every circumstance has got a knot in it. And you don't know how to get the knot undone. It's got you befuddled. Lord, undo the knot. Speak to them and say, this is the way. Walk in it. This is the way. Walk in it. Give us direction. For those that need jobs, Lord, I pray you would supply. For those that need wisdom in their workplace, how they're supposed to act before a boss, where they're supposed to work, how they're supposed to work. For those of them need wisdom on immunizations, counsel them with your eye on them. Show them what they're supposed to do. That's all that counts, you and him. Just do what he says to do, and you're fine. Get the shot, don't get the shot. Just do what he says. You can say either one of those. But some of you are tied in a knot about that and a hundred other things. Lord, for those that are tied in knots about our government, worried like I am, let's pray, God, let's pray you peace. As we offer our requests, Lord, hear us as we ask you to change, renew, and redo. Lord, we pray for our sons and daughters. May God meet them where they are. Whether in a faraway city, maybe the little ones we're concerned about, we're praying in advance for them to get saved, to know Jesus Christ. May not one person out of your household be missing at the table, or not one care if you have one cat or, or ten kids not one of them missing or even grandkids or down the fine family line the great grandkids may they all know the Lord I declare all my children will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace all my children as a promise from scripture will be taught of the Lord and great will be their peace some of your children are supposed to move into certain areas and they've been slow about it they have a calling on their head and it's been stolen or delayed unlock them and drop the shackles off I pray God as a result of these simple prayers in response to scripture I pray shackles would fall I pray God this would be an amazing thing we would point back to this this very Sunday and we say that's the day I got serious with God that's the day when my miracle began and if your miracle begins but doesn't quite finish you keep on praying till it finishes you persist until God opens the door it may take more than one knock but God will open the door Salvation break out to those around us that we've been praying for and looking for. Jobs suddenly appear. Jobs that were lost reappear in a better form. 
good measure, pressed down, shaken together, may the Lord pour out on you. May God give you faith to be givers extravagantly, financially, spiritually, prayerfully, in every way that God's kingdom calls for. Things that stir the heart of God. Rearrange and move. So I'm going to leave you to your worship and your prayers. If John plays. Stay here as long as you want. Leave whenever you want. If you leave, uh, there's lots of room out there to fellowship and hang out. So you might want to do it respectfully because I think there's some actually serious business going on here. Serious prayer going on here. And serious transactions before the Lord. Glorious ones. Wonderful ones. Thank you, Lord.